Seahawks fans, wherever you may be. Welcome back for another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alpstead, and co-host, sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers, as we talk Seahawks football. about it oh man um that was a fun game i mean it was stressful and it was crazy and it was all sorts of like what but then at the end you got it you, there it would have been impossible to, to not be entertained by that game that was so much fun oh man i mean it was entertaining but shoot keith i mean can we apparently not we we cannot win a going away game where we just kind of put teams away in the first half and then kind of pull pull away in the second half and everyone goes home happy we did our thing on offense. The defense was awesome. So far, the offense has just been lights out. Did you just say the I defense mean, was awesome? Because it, it wasn't. It, we could be. I know. I mean, we could be. It's like, <laughs> can it? Could it be? Yeah. I mean, we were up like thirty to fifteen and a thirty-two to fifteen, and then we allowed them to come back. That proverbial third and fourth quarter prevent defense kicks in. We let them score. We then, you know, have a couple of three and outs on offense, just kind of make it interesting. Why not? You know, and then it, it comes down to a last Russell Wilson drive against a last Dak Prescott drive and Russell Wilson w- wins the day. And somehow the Seahawks continue to, to kind of be this team uh, for, for at least the second year in a row, if not the last decade. You know, we've just kind of been that team that wins close games. Yep. And everyone keeps saying that it's unsustainable. It's unsustainable. Like there's too much variability uh, um, in one score games. And yet under Pete Carroll, the Seahawks have been the better end on the, you know, the one score games consistently every single year. Yeah. Um, well, when you have Russell Wilson throwing the, 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 the game-winning drive touchdowns. He's got, what, 30-some-odd of those in, mm-hmm. in his career. That certainly leads helps, all, doesn't it? Leads all quarterbacks since 2012, since he's been in the league. Uh, it does it does certainly help, yes. So let's uh, let's put off the, the Dallas game for just a minute and get into kind of uh, the comings and goings of, of this week. I know that you wanted to talk about some injury stuff. And uh, let's get to that in just a second. But I want to talk about this this COVID little COVID outbreak. The first time we've really had to talk about uh, COVID nineteen so far uh, in the league uh, year um, uh, since the game started. And the Titans uh, players have started to test positive along with some of their personnel as well. So I think Saturday was um, their defensive linebacker coach. Uh, turned out positive Saturday morning before the team traveled. He stayed back. The team went ahead and flew to um, the Vikings, Minnesota. They played the game. Uh, They came back yesterday, started testing protocols, and uh, some positive tests came back. And apparently those tests have been reaffirmed and now are are truly positive. Um, And so that may end up possibly affecting the Seahawks game in 12 days against the Minnesota Vikings. Absolutely. <clears throat> and so we're just going to have to monitor that. So they've put three players in, in the protocol and then five of their 
their coaching staff um, in, in isolation as well. And, and then both teams, Minnesota and the Titans, need to remain away from the practice facilities until at least Saturday, uh, which puts their weekend game. I think uh, the Titans are playing, I think, Pittsburgh. Uh, puts that game into jeopardy. Minnesota has not yet had uh, confirmation of any positive tests, which is awesome. Maybe this thing is contained. Um, so we'll see what happens. Um, but if, if you know, it takes a few days for, for kind of COVID to show up and test after you've been infected. So I don't know if the Vikings are completely out of the woods yet. It'll just be something to watch. No, that could have an impact in a few in a few weeks. Well, I mean, we're only to Tuesday. Um, and the, you know, the game was on Sunday. So we were only a couple days out. You would expect to see the first, uh, positive test coming in on Wednesday or Thursday. Yeah. And well, especially since the Titans, maybe the coach transmitted that to the other players. I'm just speculating, but that seems reasonable. Mm -hmm. He was tested positive on Saturday morning. And, uh, so that now has given them time to, to, to have it and now it, it may have been transmitted by virtue of asymptomatic carriers you know unbeknownst to them just it just happened yeah and so it's going to be interesting to see what uh, the league does with this and where this goes because one of the things that uh, they talked about when they said okay we're going to play and here's under the conditions and all that is they said we're going to have positive tests the key is, can our testing protocol catch it, keep the number down, stop massive outbreaks from happening? And yeah. do we have, you know, can we contain it when we have them? Well, guess what? Now you've got it. Now we get to test it. And if a whole bunch of the Titans end up not being able to play for a couple of weeks, we've got a problem. And if a whole bunch of Vikings end up not being able to play for a couple of weeks, that makes it an even bigger problem. But if the Vikings end up in the clear with this and, you know, then the, the league's in good shape to continue, you know, to keep going and doing its thing. But um, the key here is containment, right? You know, there's yeah. been people that have been infected. Can we keep that number to be exactly what it is right now and not let it go up? Because if that stays down, if it stays where it is, um, we'll continue on with the, the year and it will be like it never happened. If the number starts to jump because the Vikings got it and, and, you know, it's being spread around by other teams and whatnot, you know, the season actually could come in jeopardy here in a week or two. I I do have to say, though, it seems like from an outside uh, observer that the league really did jump on this quickly. It does, and, yes. Uh, it was transparent. They, they didn't hide the fact that uh, they had players test positive. They came right out with it, mm -hmm. even even if it looked like it may have been false positives because there were just so many in a, in a cluster really close together. Uh, that's what happened the last time this sort of positive thing happened, but it was again reaffirmed. So um, good luck to those guys. Good luck to the team. Good luck to the Vikings um, all around. You know, you just don't want to see that to happen to any team. Obviously it puts everything in jeopardy. So there's that, but it hopefully is, is, is what you described kind of a contained situation at this point. The team can isolate that situation. Maybe uh, the, the, the Titans are talking about Monday or Tuesday being a viable option to play that game against Pittsburgh for the Titans. And maybe that is the solution and that gets us forward and allows the rest of the league to continue as scheduled. So we'll see what happens. It's just something to be monitoring. A um, couple of transactions uh, today on the Seahawks front. 
Uh, Seattle waived linebacker DeAndre Walker, who saw a couple of snaps in his three weeks with the team. Um, and Seattle protects linebacker Shaquem Griffin and Stefan Sullivan on the practice squad this week. That's the second time. I think it's the second time for both, right? Yep. Was yep. Stefan Sullivan protected last week as well? I believe he was. That's the, those are the two times that Seahawks can protect those particular two players at this point. So something's got to give in the future. Now, we know, uh, we talked right before the show, uh, that Shaquem Griffin has already been selected to come up onto the Seah- uh, Seahawks roster by Pete Carroll. He came out in the news conference on Monday and said as much. And uh, so this move seems to be kind of just a preliminary uh, transition move to get him back on the roster. Mm-hmm. And um, not sure what's going on with Stefan Sullivan. They must be hearing some grumblings out there that uh, a team is, is looking at him as, as a possible add to their 53. So they're protecting him. Yep. And they're just trying to wait on any decision with him uh, and basically, you know, wait another week and see what, uh, what goes on with the, you know, the guys they have on the roster and, and um, try and make any decisions as late as possible um, with that. But with Griffin, you know, he's coming up. The, the Pete Carroll came out and said they really liked what he did. He was all over the place. He was one of the few guys who actually got up field and, and um, you know, got some pressure. And, um, and only one series, really. I mean, he played 17 snaps on the defense. Mm-hmm. So not a huge I think sample. He, I think you only had sample. I think you only had four pass rush attempts in that, and he got reasonable pressure two, on two pressures and they hit. Yeah. So, um, and you know, that, I mean, that's the type of thing this team needed, and for him to come in um, and provide a boost to the pass rush when the team was desperate for it um, was great to see, and. Uh, he's going to get more playing time. He's going to get an, yeah. a, an opportunity to do uh, just that, and and then they're going to carve out a role for him, according to Pete Carroll. So, um, well, according to Pete Carroll, he he earned it. Yep, and I I agree. Mm-hmm. So the other uh, interesting little tidbit is Seattle's bringing in free safety Demarius Randall, um, former first round pick in 2015, <clears throat> 5'11", 196. He's a free safety guy, but he's um, He's been primarily playing the the right and left cornerback position um, in his um, tenure in the NFL with uh, Cleveland and Green Bay. So lots of experience, lots of pretty decent coverage and a solid tackler. He's kind of scheme diverse. He can play safety as well as outside uh, corner on the boundaries. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, with the injuries we've been having in the secondary particularly, uh, it makes sense that the Seahawks would be looking at a guy like uh, Demarius Randall, and then Snacks Harrison was going to get a look yep. by all reports. He's also um, he's also going to be he's, in town. He's and not yet scheduled. I I have not seen him scheduled to be in. He it, I haven't heard anything well, since last week. Last week it last week they he was he was going to visit this week and he was scheduled to come in this week. We just didn't know when. Yes. Um, my guess is that meant uh, Monday. Because that's I guess. because that's when you know there's no players around. You just bring a guy in, you talk to him. So do you, you think he came whatever. in? Nobody knows about it. Nobody talked about it. He's kind of going through the COVID protocol and workouts and just kind of seeing what happens or what. Yeah, I mean that's what's that's what's typical. With, I mean, with it's kind of, of odd for it, a guy like Bob Condotta or somebody like that not to get wind of a guy like that in the practice facility. Um, <clears throat> how do we know that they didn't get wind of it? Because I mean, it, it was already. 
reported that he was coming and for him to come in and, you know, well, there was speculation the out there. Um, oh gosh, I lost my name, uh, that I was thinking of, uh, a reporter, a beat reporter with the Seahawks did say that, um, while Randall was, uh, coming in that snacks Harrison, they may, may have changed direction on it slightly because, uh, of the injury current injury situation on the team um, and the fact that our interior uh, defensive tackles have been playing so well. Now that's just a beat reporter on Twitter um, with, un, you know, inconclusive kind of chatter, but um, I just thought I'd throw that out there. I just don't know. I haven't heard anything specifically with, with Harrison up beyond last week. Yeah. I mean, he is a, He's an interior defensive tackle who's known as a run stuffer. He's not a pass rusher. And a, and a great uh, one. But he's so. a great run stuffer. Um, and for him to, like, I mean, of course he's on the radar for the Seahawks. They need defensive linemen, just all of them. Straight up. Um, yes. And all of the rotation of bringing, you know, their five tech guys like um, Rasheem Green in to play three tech against the pass and all of that, that's been thrown out the window because of all the. Uh, injuries at defensive end so including Rasheem Green um and so they need they just need bodies and to be able to have uh a really really good you know uh person out there that you can bring in even if he's not exactly what you need um in terms of like you need pass rushers he's still a really good player you can play him at the one you can play him at the three um, and you play him on in first and those downs and you, you free up Jerron Reed to be much more of a uh, pass rusher and you're not asking him to play the run as much. And so you're keeping him fresher. He's playing, you know, fewer snaps and he's playing specifically in snaps where he he's, can rush he's not faster, getting, so. yeah, he's not getting worn down, taking double teams on cause that's not Harrison's specialty. Yep. All right. Uh, let's get the, let's get the injury stuff out of the way. I mean, it's not. Uh, as bad of news as we thought it might be. Oh man, uh, coming out of the game, coming out of that game, we were, we were coming out of that game. We were worried. I mean, it was, this looked like it was going to be a terrible, um, a terrible week for it. Um, let's start with the defensive secondary since we were just talking about that. Um, so the team was without, uh, Dunbar who tweaked a knee in practice. Um, it's a first degree sprain and he is expected to be back if not this week, then next week. So that's, um, coach did say that he'd have a good chance this week. Yep. And that, and that means <clears throat> a lot from com- coming from Pete Carroll. That essentially means he's probably going to play. Yep. Um, they also were without Leno Hill, uh, who woke that was up. was a surprise. It was a, it was a big surprise. He basically just woke up with some back pain and it was on the same side that he had the hip injury last year, which was pretty serious. <clears throat> so he was, uh, Leno apparently was, was really stressing about it. Um, but it was just, you know, typical like back spasm kind of thing. And, and he'll be fine. He should be ready to go this week. And if not, it'll be soon. Like he, there's no, there's no plans whatsoever for him to go on IR or anything like that. It's not deemed a long term. He, he should have given me a call. Like Sunday morning, because I could have told him all all about the back spasm thing. Say, hey, dude, <laughs> chill out. It'll be cool. Just kind of take a couple Advil, soak in the tub, yep, and uh, start moving. Go a walk for a walk around the block before the game. You'll be good. So, um, and then <laughs> the, the 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 rough one um, of of all the secondary was, um, you know, having you know the uh, 
Jamal Adams. He's like the superstar back there. Um, pull up with a groin injury and have leave the game, not come back. <clears throat> Pete Carroll. Yeah, when he grabbed that that groin, I was like, oh, oh no, dude, no, 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 no. Yep. And uh, yeah. Pete, Pete, so, but, but I would say Pete Carroll says it's a grade one strain. Um, it's he's going to be out, probably not going to play this next week, but he, it's not a long-term thing. It's something he'll be back from, um, yeah, in a goodness. couple of weeks, which is like, Oh my God, thank goodness. Cause those groin strains can last. I mean, if you've ever had even a, a grade one can, t- can, you can keep tweaking it like over and over again. If you move mm-hmm. the wrong way, it's I like, mean, a, that's how it's like a hamstring, right? Yeah. If, if you have a hamstring injury, like you feel better, you go out and you run on it and then it's just like twinges and now you're back where you were. And you can right. wait it out. So it they'll be better. very careful with like, this oh. one, especially playing the Miami Dolphins this week. I would imagine Jamal Adams will be a healthy or not healthy scratch yeah. this weekend. Um, so, but if you think about it, right, that's um, that's that's the, a lot. That's, of the th- th- that's three of the secondary guys right there, oh. and you've got Blair, who was already placed on IR after having oh, ACL man. injury the week before. So the strength of the team, before, you know, in week one, Keith, I yep. kid you not, we talked about it. That is all of a sudden the weakest link on the defense. No, it's not. It's the, cr- the defensive cr- line well, is still the weakest link. But nah, um, I don't know. I mean, look at the pass numbers that we've been. Yeah, I mean, it was up. bad. Like it was, it was bad. Anyway, I mean, that's we'll talk about that too. I mean, we, we can get into that, but uh, at the end of the game, I mean, who is the guy who made the game ceiling interception uh, in the end zone as time was expiring, right? It was the guy that I talked about in the off season as being one of the guys I thought maybe the Seahawks would look at keeping over some of the other guys because he's an outside corner guy. And if they developed somebody like that on the roster, mm-hmm. it would be good for the long term. It's ne- uh, it was success it was Neil who was playing Ryan safety. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, he yeah, was yeah, yeah, playing yeah. safety because, well, who else was left? I mean, they'd reached a point where um, they had pulled Ugo Amadi out of the slot job and have, was having him play safety, but then they were pushing him back to the slot, pulling him back to safety, and d- depending on formations and and stuff. So they were you know moving him around and and he. Ugo Amadi played well. I just want to straight. You know, by all that. indications, too, not just the interception for Ryan Neal, but Ryan Neal took. I'm gonna. I've got it written down here. Hold on. <laughs> Do I? God, I thought I wrote it down. I think Ryan Neal ended up having like uh, twenty some odd twenty three snaps mm-hmm. on defense. Um, so, and in those snaps, I think Pro Football Focus had him in a. Fairly positive grade for yeah. the game. I mean, considering he was a guy that got called up from the practice squad the day before the game, I mean, that's a pretty impactful, um, you know, presence. Presence, out and, there, and yeah. he played. He played pretty well. So, um, but yeah, I mean, they were they were down to playing a guy that had been on the practice squad twenty four hours before game time. At the end of the game, they were. That's how thin the secondary plus, was. Plus, Shaquem Griffin. You know, he's running around being a spy on uh, Dak Prescott, not necessarily rushing the passer, but kind of playing the linebacker role even for the for the Seahawks because we had another injury to uh, Jordan Brooks. Yep, he rolled an um, ankle. Um, or a knee or whatever it was, right? I thought it was an ankle. I think he had a knee. I think he had a knee. Oh, okay. It was a sprain, sprain knee. Anyway, Jordan Brooks is day-to-day. It's not like it's a long-term thing or they probably put him on IR for three weeks or whatever. It's day-to-day, quote-unquote, just mm-hmm. like all the other injuries. But given, the, you know, 
the injuries and given the opponent this week, they may may elect to rest some of these guys. So Jordan Brooks, we had Damian Lewis who went down early. Um, he only had what four or five snaps, and then he went down on the on the first drive. Yep. Um, sprained ankle. Thankfully, it wasn't a high ankle sprain, which would have been devastating. I mean, they would have lost him for five, six, seven weeks. Nope. Now they look like he might even play this week. He might, which is but great I'll, news. Although I'll say Seahawks. Jordan Simmons came in. Jordan and played, Simmons played good. Played Pete. well um, in that spot, which, you know what? A couple of years ago, uh, Jordan Simmons came in and, you know, had and played uh, in an injury reserve role and played really well and then got hurt. And then last year he was on IR all year because he'd been hurt. Um, but when healthy, he's been good. I think that is one of those things that's kind of lost about Simmons is that people think, oh, who is he? He's like, you know, guy that just made the team and we don't really know much about. No, he went healthy. He's been good. He just hasn't been healthy that much. Um, yeah. Right now he's healthy. He played well. So. So we have one more injury and then let's talk about the offensive line. So Chris Carson has mm-hmm. that sprained knee on that really stupid freaking Tristan Hill gator roll. Uh, on him with it twisted his knee up. I mean, that was the, about as intentional as you can get on oh, it was, film. It was absolutely. Now I don't know what's in the I don't know what's in the man's heart and what's in his mind. Uh, I know that his coach came out and tried to defend him. Uh, okay, fine. Go ahead and defend your player. Whatever, dude. Go look at the film. I'll just point you back to the film because it was it was stupid. I mean, it was unnecessary. He was already going to be down, and yeah. he purposefully rolled him to try to get him out of the game. I don't even know other any other interpretation he so absolutely, Chris Carson, though he absolutely absolutely made an intentional move to try and create an injury if he's not fined incredible large amounts of money and suspended um I'm, i agree with that I, take i am going to be i'd say four games livid. for sure and like a hundred hundred two hundred thousand dollars um and i gotta sure. tell you pete carroll is going to be mad about that one because this is him coming out um and like this is the quote from him. He goes, um, "I was really pissed about that one. I don't know what's going on, what's going to happen with that, but I was pissed because that guy hurt him." Yeah, no, I, like, you don't hear Pete talk about that very often. <laughs> like right? that's so from Pete Carroll, and I'm just like, and that that wasn't just like right after the game when he's just like you know he's pumped up and everything. No, that was the next day, and he had 24 well, hours you to know, sit with that. And you know, um, Keith, that, that Chris Carson has had some injuries. I mean, he's had an injured knee before. He's had the hip thing. So mm-hmm. when that happened, my worst case scenario popped into my brain. And I'm thinking we lost Chris Carson for the freaking year over that stupid crap. And it turns out, yes, in fact, he does have a sprained knee, but it's not. It's a grade one sprain. And I think it's an MCL type thing. So it is. it's a and the MCL, it's a day-to-day or a it's week-to-week a week to week. type of um, thing. The MCL will heal itself. You don't need surgery for it. It's grade one, which means it's minor, so it'll heal faster. He's probably going to be out two weeks. Um, and and then you might as well keep him out to the pass the by, so you that, know, just to be on the safe side or whatever. I mean, you got Carlos Hyde. Let's let's ride Carlos Hyde for a while. Well, and not only that, but you've got DJ Dallas, which was you've got DJ Dallas, which let's was some DJ one Dallas. of the more impressive players. Let's go um, let DJ Dallas go back to Miami and kick some ass. Yeah, um, that's what I'm and, saying. And I, honestly, I mean, this is the advantage of having a really deep running back room because um, they're going to get Carson back, which is awesome. But he gets to um, take a couple of weeks off and, and heal. But they 
they can lean on Carlos Hyde and DJ Dallas. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, um, and they should in this game. Now we'll talk about plenty about the Miami Dolphin uh, team and the, and the game coming up. But I'm telling you what, uh, Miami has a really hard time stopping the run, and they don't look physical at all. Uh, offensive lines are are kind of making large, substantial holes. Um, their their See, secondary is bad too, I so you can throw remember, on them. But I, I seem to remember somebody on this show being really high on the Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins had a chance. If you looked at the, all the uh, now, if they had if we had gone through regular preseason and then had that prediction show, I probably would have changed my tune a little bit. But <laughs> right, but you look at the the Dolphins roster just on paper it looked like they had a chance to be significantly better than they were last year and it turns out not so much and we'll talk about all that uh let's talk about the offensive line I thought I'd give you a really nice shot to come in and and talk about the offensive line a little bit because there's a lot of things to be optimistic about um with with this line I'll just give you a couple of stats uh in this last game Russell Wilson had an average of 3.41 seconds to throw the ball, the longest in the NFL in week three. And overall, Seattle's up uh, on that average to 2.92 seconds per uh, drop back for Russell Wilson, second in the NFL, up from 2.71 average in 2019. And then we have less penalties, too. Uh, In uh, game one, we had four penalties which was an outlier maybe because in game two, we had two penalties in game three. We had two. Um, it looks like the offense is pushing guys out of the way to run the ball and is keeping Russell Wilson fairly protected uh, so that he can have as much time as he really needs to get guys wide open and, and throw the ball around. So yep. uh, everyone seemed to have stepped up this year. Well, I'll tell um, you, I'll tell in their you roles. that, um, not just in the uh, penalty, but definitely in the penalty or um, goal. Brandon Shell has been a big upgrade over Jermaine Effetti um, at right tackle. He's just a fighter. Even when he gets out of position, he's fighting. Yeah. He's fighting to get back into position. Yep. I noticed that about him. He, um, he there, He's a high effort guy all over the place. And he's pretty athletic um, and, and does some things really well. Um He's been a nice, pleasant surprise. He's not perfect. I mean, we're not talking about a pro bowler, but uh, we're also not talking about the worst right tackle in the league, which is what Jermaine Effetti was. Now, got to give the plug to Effetti at guard in Chicago. He's playing very well. Very, very, very well. So um, it's not personal. He just wasn't a tackle. He's a guard. Um, And so, and... Lewis has been outstanding. I mean, okay, so Lewis has some absolutely has some low light real plays with some really bad penalties, um, and a couple of uh, sacks he's given up where he just got fooled, um, especially week one against Grady Jarrett. But um, on a play to play, if you start looking over the bulk of the snaps that he's played, he's been very good. I and improving since that first game. Yeah, um, and so his him getting hurt was a. God, that was so disappointing because he's just been such a such a nice bright spot for the team. Um, but then Jordan Simmons came came in and played well. Um, one guy whose name you don't hear on game day is Ethan Posick. Why do you not hear his name um, on game day? Because he does his job well. He's not making any mistakes. He's not making any mistakes. He's doing what he needs to do. He's shown some athleticism from the uh, the center position that I have not seen him 
uh, show from the guard position. And I got to tell you, that center position for him is just kind of a natural. He, um, he obviously, was, he was he drafted was at that position. He was a center his senior right. year in college. And uh, Tom Cable goes, nope, he's going to be a tackle. And we go, but he was a all he was an all American center. This is who he is, and but to see him pull on those running plays and to get out, out in front of whether it be a screen pass or a couple of um, Carson's runs to the outside and have Ethan Posick, a three hundred and twenty pound yeah. guy Attack. down downfield attacking linebackers, linebackers. and safeties in the open field. Sight. I mean, it's been impressive, and they ne- they could never do that when Justin Britt was there. I mean, that's not who he was. He's a guy who yeah. blocks the guy Justin right Britt in front of him. operated in, in a box, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it just adds that flexibility. Um, Mike Lupati's been okay, but he also... He's got a great uh, pro football focus grade right yeah. behind Dwayne Brown. Um, so, I mean, he's he's been okay. He hasn't... He's been better than last year, which is... Um, it helps when you're surrounded helps. by competence. It does. <laughs> it really does. It's just like the just Not like having the Joey Lewis Hunt thing. next to you. <laughs> You know, just like Shell on the outside over there, he's got one of the best rookie guards in the entire league. One of the best guards, period, in mm-hmm. the league now it, with uh, Damian Lewis next to him. That really does help. It does. To have a guy that really you can trust next to you. Well, if line. you go back to the week one, like my comment was um, that they made a lot of mistakes, but the mistakes were not physical so much as they were communication, which means it was fixable. And then if you look what happened last week and this week, those same mistakes didn't happen. They've been better because their communication is better. Um, and this is what's going to happen as this team continues to mature as a as a unit is um, that communication is going to come more naturally and uh, they're just going to continue to play play well together. So they do need to get Lewis back from injury. Um, Mike Lupati actually got hurt, was out for a while, came back. Um, in his stead was Jamarco Jones. Um, so they had both backup guards in at that point. Jones played um, played well too, and then you know Dwayne Brown's Dwayne Brown on the outside. He might not be young, but he's still a very good player. Um, what you have is a competent offensive line, which uh, Russell Wilson hasn't had since 2013, right? Um, ever since they traded Max Unger, he has not had a competent offensive line in front of him. Now he does. I mean, there were some of those plays in the game on Sunday where he had like a half an hour back there to throw the ball and could not find anyone open, but he had lots of time. Yeah. He had four or five plays or no, he had eight plays with over four seconds of or four and a half seconds of time That's crazy. and was seven, seven of eight. 420 yards and two touchdowns in those plays. Yeah. I mean, it, it says, it says something about, (laughs) um, you know, the way that they, they were trying to get people open or get people deep. Um, and the ways Dallas was covering it and and all of that. Um, because he, it's not like he was trying to hold onto that ball. He wanted to get rid of it, but no one was open. Um, but he had the time. And that was what was key. He had the time. Um, and we haven't been able to say that. No. Like, I don't remember the last time we've been able to say that in any game, in any year. Like, this is a first. Let's, I'm not used to this at all. I could get used to it, though, because to see Russell Wilson have time, it, it's unfair to, <laughs> to, 
to defenses because it's just it's so lopsided as far as the talent level. Russell Wilson is just killing people. All right, so as good as the offense has been, uh, and we'll talk about some individual performances and individual players as we kind of move through this. But I thought I'd just throw up the defense. Uh, excuse the excuse the pun. The throw up um, the defense. That's what the defense did. <laughs> they threw up all game. Oh, it's crazy. So. On, when you look at the eye test, you just look and you don't look at any of the stats, just kind of a feel. You watch the game, you feel like the defense is playing okay. They're making some plays, they're stopping the run pretty effectively, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, occasionally you'll get a little bit of a blitz going, or you'll get some pressure, and maybe you'll force a three and out. Um, but right now, uh, teams are completing 50% of third downs against the Seahawks. And also their, their red zone percentage is, um, is not, not very good as well. So, um, it's, and that, and that's the good stuff, right? That's the, <laughs> that's the good part. And then the bad part is, uh, the Seattle defense is the only team to ever allow more than 1,200 yards passing through three games. In and the second NFL most yards overall history. in history at 1,492 yards, second only to the 2019 lowly Miami Dolphins that had uh, six more yards um, yeah. given up. So they're, they're six yards away from being the NFL's worst defense ever. Of all time. Of all time through three, three games. Three now, games. Part of that is because Russell Wilson is insane. And it's, this offense is putting up points like crazy. In the, in the first half. Yeah. And, and so right. teams are, and, and they, yeah, they're doing it early in games. So they're, they're getting these leads and they're forcing teams to throw the ball and just go for chunk plays and do all yes. those things. Um, because So teams are attacking there's no attempt to run for the most part. You know, there's, there's, there's not a lot of like, um, there's not a lot of patience and teams are just, you know, look at the number, you look at the number of throws in each of the three games. It's been, it's been crazy. Um, well, it so has been crazy. Well, let me just give you, let me just give you this. So, uh, this isn't like three game stats. This is just the stats against the, the, um, the Cowboys. Uh, Seahawks have allowed nine pass plays against the Cowboys of 20 or more yards including three touchdowns of 40 or more yards. Griffin, on one drive, gave up a 52-yard reception to Gallup and then a 42-yard score to Wilson. God, that was a for, terrible For almost the for entire drive, he was the victim. He was he looked um, bad at times. Oh, dude, and it's, you know, it, it's tough because then you have outliers like Ugo Amadi, who had a great game, eight tackles, a tackle for loss, um, a stop on a two point conversion, a couple Co- of pass breakups on third big, downs to kill drives. Pass point right? breakups. Um, and, but then you've got Quentin Dunbar, Marquise Blair, Leno Hill out versus Dallas. Uh, you've got Ryan Neal that, that kind of had to come in off the practice squad and step up and actually made a play. Quim, Quim uh, Griffin, like I said, was kind of all over. Uh, he's not kind of a defensive guy, a defensive back guy, but um, his brother, though had those huge mistakes, but then also had an interception later on, which was, um, which was good. But the consistency that I'm seeing is all over the place on the defense. It's just crazy. It's like, they'll have a great play and then they'll have three bad ones and they'll have Mm -hmm. a good decent play and they'll stop somebody on third drive. And then they'll allow four third down conversions in a row on a 75 yard drive that, that just kills them. And so it's just, it's not sustainable. It, it's it's rough because the 
it's one thing for the bend and don't break where you give up third down um, completions, but you don't give up any big plays and eventually the other team makes a mistake in their drive stalls. Um, you know, that, that's the, that's the bend, but, but don't break thing. The problem with this defense is that it's bending and breaking. It's yeah. gi- giving up those. And like, the only reason we're winning is because we're outscoring teams. I mean, that's how you win in the NFL. I get it, but we're having to outscore teams by a historic effort by our quarterback in order to beat teams. That's my point. Yeah. Um, and those, and as I was saying, those two things are a little bit related because, uh, with Wilson putting up points, other teams are, are forcing the issue and, you know, that is what it is, but, well, let's uh, talk, let's talk, need... let's break that down a little bit. I mean, how, how real is that? How real is that we're, the defense is only so bad because the the offense is just so good. Well, no, I mean they're as, they're as bad. To... They're they're bad, but they you look at some of the yards that they give up. Teams don't want to throw the ball fifty one times um, a game, right? That's not that's the only never thing the that's game saving plan. this defense right now is turnovers. We're positive four on the turnover ratio, and we had three turnovers turnovers against Dallas. Plus, we have the safety. Mm-hmm. I mean so, that sort of work by the defense, I get and I accept, and I will take that all day because that's really the game-changing kind of plays that keep you in games and then help you win games. But everything else is just garbage right now. Well, they're stopping the run, which is good. They're forcing teams to throw it, um, and then teams are throwing it, and then Wilson's basically saying you're not going to run it anyway um, by putting up all those points. And so teams are th- like I said, you. You never go into a game with the game plan to be to throw it 50, 55 times. And that's what teams are doing against Seattle by necessity. And so a lot of those yards end up showing up because of game script. Um, Now, it would be nice if that didn't happen or they get a stop here or there um, and get off the field, which is what they need to do. Um, So I'm not trying to say that they've been good in any way because they haven't. But a lot of the extremeness of those stats it is, I want to say a lot, but a, a good chunk of it is um, it's it's built around the game script of the Seahawks jumping out to an early lead. Yeah, and looking I, just, I disagree with you in a sense that um, Seattle has never been game scripted to allow uh, big chunk pass plays. Pete Carroll would hate no, that. No, that's comment. not what I mean. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about... Yeah, but you I, said a good chunk of the of the yardage we're allowing. I I would argue that a big chunk of the yardage we're allowing is that big chunk play. I mean, well, if you take a look at all those plays, that that that's actually not what I'm, accumulated that's, to almost three hundred yards of Dallas's offense. But that's not what I was, was saying. Plays over is, twenty yards is if you go if you look at this game right. Um, if it had been a close game or if Dallas had been slightly ahead, how many times are they forcing the ball deep like that? They're not. They're not taking those chances. They're not throwing the deep. They're taking what the defense gives them. They're um, which would those... you rather have? Would you rather have the the old playbook scenario, where Seattle plays close games the entire way and our defense is fairly tight, but our offense is less dynamic? Oh, or this would is you way rather more fun. Win with an offense, is this is way more put fun. Up, you know, fifteen or twenty points on a team, and then we let them come back. This is this is what's more is, fun. It's more worse? it's more fun and more entertaining um, this way. Honestly, um, is it is it a Super Bowl winning formula? Could not, it be? Uh, I mean, it has been in the past. Saints won a Super Bowl this way. The, um, Could, does the defense have enough potential to get better? Yes. So talk to me about that a little bit. What do you think? I see Alton Robinson. And what he did on Sunday as 
such a bright spot and such a source of hope. Because the one thing that this defense desperately needs is a pass rusher that can consistently yeah. generate pressure. And you know what Alton Robinson did on um, on Sunday? He beat offensive tackles around the corner and made uh, Des Bryant. He had a couple of tackles for loss. He had a, he had a couple of close. He had, he a, had close a big sack. One, and then he had a the, sack. He had a big sack at the end. He had he had a, a big sack with 16 seconds left. That wasn't just a big sack. That was a play of the game, basically. Yeah. That, and that and, forced the next play into an interception. Yep. Um, and so he, he played, he was such a bright spot and, and looked so good. And I, I think as he continues to develop and gets more playing time and gets more experience and, and all that, he's going to just continue to get better and continue to, and that's um, with Daryl Taylor sitting on the bench, you know, waiting for, for his, uh, for his leg to heal up. He's not even know? on the bench. He's in the locker room still. He's well, on in, on what I'm saying reserve. is that he, he could come back in this year and have an effect as well. So Seattle could get better just yeah. by virtue of having a guy come come back that we've never had yet yeah and um i mean alton robinson was it was playing and he'd never played this year um and what he in the good. heck was going on with seattle's coaching staff that made the decision to sit him the first two weeks we've seen this before this is not a, it, was, it a happened brand last new movie. year too no and this happened with puna ford the year before puna ford the year before marquise blair and ugo amadi last year and this year it's um alton robinson they want to play the veterans they don't want to deal with you know, rookie mistakes and, and that kind Even of stuff. Even on a team that is desperate yeah. for pass rush. Well, and I I think the the severity of the issue was was unexpected. I think they, they knew they weren't going to be great at rushing the passer. I didn't think they th- they realized they were going to be historically bad. I think what, what got them out of whack was uh, Benson Mayo playing 90% of the snaps. Oh, I yeah. That, because... was, that was the line that they... Could yeah, <laughs> you can't have that. Um, well, and, and that's uh, Bruce Irvin's injury, you know, rearing its head right there because they really expected Bruce Irvin to be that guy. I mean, yeah, he's going to play strong side linebacker, um, you know, in the base, but they're going to play a lot of nickel and, and he was going to come up and play that rush end, um, which he does well. And then when he got had that injury, it's like now there's nothing. You, you don't have anything behind him because it was – they were trying to replace um, Jadavian Clowney with four guys, right? So instead of having one guy, you're going to have four, right? You're going to have Alton Robinson, um, Benson Mayo, Bruce Irvin, and um, Daryl Taylor. Well, Taylor's foot is still injured, so he's on the pup. Um, Irvin, uh, you know, tore his ACL. He's on IR. That leaves Mayo and um, Alton Robinson and so now you're replacing, you know, guy who with uh, all pro credentials with um, a fifth round draft pick and a mildly successful rotational guy, right? I mean, he's he's had some sacks, but he's a guy that you want playing thirty percent of your snaps, not ninety percent of your snaps. Correct. So um, the the situation they they thought they had a formula, and. On paper, they had a formula, but everything is kind of blown up in their face um, a little bit with the with As the, will the happen trenches. when you have a weak spot in your defense sometimes. Mm-hmm. When that weak spot is then, you know, exposed yep. uh, by virtue of injury or underperformance or whatever, it, it really does come back to bite you, especially given the idea that we knew all along, and so did they, that pass rush was going to be 
preeminent as far as needing mm-hmm. to fix it and addressing it and solving it, and they did none of it. Well, and part um, of the problem. So it'll be interesting. Part of the problem was that the game plan for this week included um, a lot of Jordan Brooks pass rushing, you know, because he was stepping into the Bruce Irvin role um, as a strong That's side right. linebacker, come up and rush the passer. Maybe not in the same, you know, ratio and all of that as Irvin did. Um, but his athleticism, he's a, just a crazy athlete. Um, well, was and I think win. that points to the fact that we we did blitz less than we had been in the first two games mm-hmm. against Dallas, which may be the formula that they go forward with a little bit more. A little less uh, blitzing. Especially Jamal, Jamal Adams is out now. Jordan Brooks is going to be out for a little while. Um, maybe they play a little bit more standard four-man rush uh, fronts and go with Ugo Amadi, who's playing well on the slot, and just kind of roll with that for a while, see what happens. So let's talk about some some other players. So I can't I can't go very far into this show um, without talking about Russell Wilson, dude. Like, we're talking historic levels of quarterback play here, he is, and it's really hard to put into words. He has 14 touchdowns in 12 quarters, which is an NFL record. The record was set two years ago by... Uh, Mahomes, who had 13 in the first game in the team's first three games. Before that, the record was 11, um, set by Drew Brees. Um, I think in like 2005. Um, and he should have had at least one more. Yeah. Um, and so you you look at that. So he is not only does he have the record because he 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 was better than Mahomes, but he's three better than second place and it's not like you know three better when you're talking about 120 no it's three better when you're talking about 14 um so just in that that's how good he's been he has just been lights out crazy good um he's been so good keith that he went 27 to 40 for 315 yards and five touchdowns and had a passer rating that actually dropped his passer rating for the year yeah down a little bit because it was only 130.7 yeah he um threw five <laughs> through five touchdowns Absurd. five touchdowns and no interceptions um and his pass rating went down that's how good he's been um now in this game he was a little off it seemed like it um Especially he was in the first half his in and early in the second half he was throwing the ball low um making throwing yep. some some balls that were really tough to catch and throwing the ball down and, yeah right and um he was definitely a little out of sync at times um, what do you think that's from? I mean, I'm just kind of curious because, you know, I've thrown the ball around in baseball and football. And, you know, if you think about things too much, you kind of get off sometimes. You you can overcompensate. You can underthrow if you're worried about somebody else catching it or paying attention or whatever. You know, it's just there's a lot of things that go into throwing a ball. It seems like it should be really easy. But if you start to overthink, certain things can happen with your mechanics. And that's kind of what I saw. Yeah, I mean, Wilson's got unique mechanics in terms of his throw. He's very over-the-top compared to most um, throwers. His baseball background is, like, very apparent in his throwing motion. Um, And earlier in his career, when he missed, he missed high. And you could tell that was one of the things that the coaches worked with him on is, you know, um, don't change your motion, but if you're going to miss, miss low. Um, and so there are times when it seems like he's just pulling the ball toward the ground. Um, and that's what was going on is, is he's just there and he's just, he's, just, you can, he's thinking 
and he's like, yeah. don't sail it, don't sail it, because that's what, what's been drilled into his head. Well, for the he last wants few to. Be, it shows, I think, that he he's looking for perfection. He's looking. Mm-hmm. He's hunting. Like out there when he's playing, he's gone from just being a guy, being a player, being a very good quarterback, very good. Um, but there's a shift. There's some sort of mental shift that's going on with him right now where he's hunting. And the offensive line performance has allowed him to do more of this, where he's just he's he's checking down, he's checking, he's going through all his progressions, and um, which he's never had time to, like consistently. Uh, he's always been, you know, having to rush stuff or move clear out of the pocket and run. Um, seeing less of that this year, it's it's a fantastic thing. But you're right; he was off just a little bit. And, and these are minor critiques. Trust but, me. But uh, this is not even an issue. No, it's I, I, just one of those deals you notice. The you know? thing is, the, the the thing that makes this incredible is this was an off game for him. This was an off game for him. He threw five touchdowns, no interceptions. Six. Five and a half touchdowns. Um, <laughs> I just, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go. What with was the, up with uh, DK Metcalf? I'm not no, gonna go well, with I want to talk about it. I want DK Metcalf on this show. That fumble through the end zone for a touchback was inexcusable, Stupid. and it was Stupid. it was a bad play, and it took points off the board in a in a in a league where you don't take points off the board because every game is is close, especially the way the Seahawks play. And um, he, yeah, that was tough. Now I love DK Metcalf. I'm going to write him for half a second here, but that's it because he came <laughs> back and caught a winning touchdown. But yep. that, that play though will forever stick in his brain. I hope so. And it won't never happen again. It better but, not. Uh, that was Russell Wilson's. Well, it was the first touchdown, right? Second. Um, second. Second. First one, and, uh, first one it, went it, to... Um, it would have accumulated to six touchdowns for Russell Wilson in this game because yeah. there was nothing preventing him from completing any of the other oh, no. touchdowns. Um, that was that was a gimme that just went away. Often. Metcalf was wide open. Uh, Wilson laid it in there perfectly. Metcalf secured the ball. He could, I will argue he that runs... that was the best throw that Russell Wilson ever made. No. Nah. If you look at the way that Russell Wilson gunned that sucker, like 60-something yards in the air... On a floater straight down into Metcalf's hands. Dude, if that was a touchdown and counted, Metcalf's, that would have been gone down as one of the greatest touchdown throws of all time. Metcalf had to slow down a little bit, um, which doesn't have anything to do with how the play ended up. But I'll give you that the fourth and five play for a touchdown um, a couple of weeks ago was a better throw because it hit. It was just yeah. as floaty and it hit yeah. Metcalf perfectly right. in stride. No, I agree. There was no You're slowing. Right. Um, but All that right. was su- it was such a great play, and and it was a great play. And Wilson floated it in there, and I think Metcalf, when he caught the ball and he realized that he had ten yards on the guy, he expected that everyone was going to pull up, and he was just going to you know walk into the end zone. It was the play was over, but the other guy didn't pull up. This is the NFL, right? Um, and he plays for the Seahawks, and I know he wasn't here, but how many times did we see? Um, Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor like tomahawk the ball away from someone at the one yard line um, when it looked like an obvious touchdown. Um, we've seen that on the other side, and guys got to learn. Kids yeah. got to learn. Um, and honestly, I don't think I don't think he'll ever forget that. He better not. Well, ever do when it you're again. berated by your own quarterback and your your head coach in front of other players, 
you'll never forget that. But the thing is, and they he also, was. I mean, they they treat him good because he's a good kid. He is but a great kid. He's he was. That was an example that I don't believe that his coach or his quarterback wanted him to ever forget, and no, they made sure. But then look what happened. Like I was, I was really like, I w- I felt really bad for him because I was looking at this and I'm like, okay, this kid is. Um, he made that play, and then after that play, he kind of disappeared, um, and it was just struggled, and you know, just like it, it was almost like he was mentally like out of it a little bit because he just disappeared from the game plan and wasn't getting open and all of that. Um, and then when the uh, Cowboys came back and took the lead, and you're like, okay, uh, that drop is now officially hurt this team. Like it's you can't argue against it. Um, then they come back. And Wilson finds Metcalf on third down, big like third and four, and they throw they, twenty nine yard touchdown. Yep, twenty nine yard touchdown. He's there battling physical contact, um, and makes the catch anyways. Touchdown, and it, it's just like a redemption catch for him because Russell Wilson's thirty third game winning drive. You don't know it until the defense makes a stop, but that's that's mm-hmm. the difference maker right there. Yep. And that's that adds up to 12 receptions, 297 yards, and three touchdowns through three games for DK Metcalf. And there's so much more. There's so much more that he could give you. He could probably have an additional 100 yards if he if he catches everything that's come to him this year. He's had some drops. Um, obviously, he's probably the receiver that, that ends up with the most drops just by virtue of the, of the routes and the passes that he tries to to, to get but um he's leaving yeah, some but he's stuff a, out there he's had a couple and, of bad drops which yeah he also had last year he had a couple of bad drops um they're constant, but nonetheless but that, if you, you look it, at it those you are extrapolate that 12 jobs. 12 receptions for 300 yards and three tds over the whole year mm-hmm. my goodness keith we're talking that's only three games all pro level yeah um and, and and with the mistakes it's it's just one of those things where you're hoping you'll have growth in that area because these are more mental mistakes than they are physical mistakes by all accounts. Yeah. Um, and so you have, um, they're meant that, that's the thing. They're concentration mistakes. Um, when he drops the ball, when he does those things, um, they're not physical mistakes. When you're evaluating players, especially like pre-draft and all of that, and you see drops, are they mental drops or are they physical drops? Because if a guy has stone hands, he'll always have stone hands. He won't be, he'll never learn to catch the ball. But if a guy who's, who's turning his head and looking downfield before he secures the ball, you can coach guys to get better at that and not make those concentration mistakes. We had a receiver in our past, Keith, and I'm for the life of me, I can't remember the name and maybe you could. Uh, the receiver that, uh, that we had uh, during our Super Bowl run in 2005 um, he had a, in fact, I believe that he had a drop in the Super Bowl too. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering if you can remember the receiver that I'm talking about, but he used, he used to have the drops. He, he had them pretty good. I can't remember his name. But. Um, so the, the receivers that were big then were Bobby Ingram and Daryl Jackson. Or Maybe Darryl it was Daryl Jackson. Um, yeah, Daryl Jackson where he, he had, he was inclined to drop the ball, um, now and again and kill drives and all that kind of stuff frustrating anyway um t- t- uh, Lockett doesn't have that problem though um 
nine God. catches, 100 yards, three touchdowns, three touchdowns all in the first half. Three I mean, touchdowns in one half. Medcalf might look like the number one wide receiver, but Lockett is the number one. Statistically, Rock, uh, Lockett's the number one. And the thing is, you can tell by the way teams are scheming, the way they the way they roll their safeties and the way they do things, they are scared of Metcalf. And rightfully so, because the kid's freaking dominant. But when they roll their safeties to Metcalf, you're leaving yourself open to Tyler Lockett, who's one of the best receivers in the NFL. And I know that sounds homerish because you're like, oh, how does he compare to guys like, you know, Julian Jones and what blah, blah, blah. Look statistically, just on, on a st- yeah. statistical nature, he is right there with all the other um, top receivers. He yeah, catches totally. everything thrown at him. He gets behind um, the he has the most separation in the NFL. I mean, yeah. just I don't even know that stat, but I'm just saying he He's, just does. He is now what Antonio Brown was three or four years ago before his mental meltdown. Um, you know, just not the biggest guy, uh, but fast, quick, savvy, savvy, dominant. You know, um, and. He is perfect just, weapon for Russell Wilson. Oh yeah, the two of them work work, work great together. I, I I am loving every second of seeing them those two guys play together. What do you think about the Bal- like Baldwin Wilson combo versus Lockett Wilson? Well, which would you rather have? I'd rather have Lockett Wilson because Lockett's speed. He was a deep. He's a deep threat, and Wilson's the best deep thrower in the, in the game. And I know again that sounds homerish, but statistically, he's not only the best deep thrower in the game; he's the best deep thrower in the game by a wide margin, and he's arguably the best deep thrower in the history of the NFL. Statistically, I'm not just talking wow. about like um, comparing it to you know what I see. That's statistically. Um, and so Baldwin was great; he was super effective. Um, perfect for what the Seahawks and Russell Wilson needed at the time because the offensive line was okay. I don't want to say that word. This is a family friendly show. Um, but the offensive line was not good. And so Wilson was often (laughs) running for his life and, uh, Baldwin was excellent in the scramble drill and his ability to find ways to present a target, uh, for Wilson when Wilson was desperate for one, um, was part of Baldwin's greatness. Um, and so at the time, Baldwin was exactly what Russell Wilson needed. But as far as being a pure compliment, uh, Lockett's ability to get deep and win on those long routes, which is what Wilson does well as those deep throws, I think is a better like pairing, but man, you're, you're comparing two very, very good players right there. (laughs) You can't go wrong with either decision. I mean, Two very good players. A couple other players on offense that, that uh, stepped up. Greg Olson had five receptions for 61 yards. Clutch fourth down to extend the game-winning drive. Absolutely. I think was his biggest play uh, yeah. of, the, of the season so far. Coming yeah. back from a week in where he had a drop where the ball hit him in the hands and he tipped it up in the air and it was caught for a pick six. Um, you know, to come back and have such a solid game it was nice to see. Freddie Swain had another uh, decent um, game getting third wide receiver snaps, really. 34 snaps on offense, 45%. What did that? Uh, to David Moore's 41%, 31. So both third and fourth wide receivers in this game still had quite a, quite a few snaps. So they yeah. were using a lot of th- 
three wide receiver sets. Yeah. So if you combine the two of them, say they split time, I mean, there's going to mm-hmm. be four wide receiver sets in there, but um, that it, it basically looks like 60% of your snaps are... Or 80, yeah. Um, ...are going to be... Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Right, well, there's the four wide receiver sets is what right, I was saying. Right, so, right, right, But you're looking right. at, you know, 60% of your snaps are, are in, uh, you know, the three wideout sets, and you're giving your rookie half of those. That's a good... That's... That's in a good game sign three. for him. Yeah. He's and the thing is he played well. He's really he's responded. He's getting open. You know, I mean he's not as dynamic as as some of the other guys, but um he's quicker, he's a better slot uh guy than than David Moore. David Moore really needs to land up on the outside. And that's part of it, is, is you know, so you don't have to move Lockett in. You can uh let Swain play on the inside. And so um it's been a nice little addition that I kind of didn't expect much from this year, like at all. Um, and he's just played well. He's doing playing playing much better than I expected. So we talked about Alton Robinson already. Um, mm-hmm. the, the one thing I'll point out with Alton Robinson <clears throat> being able to come in is it really helped balance the defensive line um, overall. Mayoa went back from 90% of the snaps the week before to 63%. Collier at 56%. Demontre Moore at 41%. Alton Robinson at 37%. Brian Monet at 30, um, Anthony Rush at 27. So that that's a much more manageable workload for all those players. And, you know, from the eye test, maybe not statistically, but the eye test showed that we played an okay game uh, against Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott really didn't – I mean, he threw for a lot of yards, but a lot of those yards were – There were a bunch of and, chunk Ended plays. up being empty. Yeah. Um, all right. I, I will say that I, you, you go down that list – and, um, you know, Brian Monet is a 360 pound run stuffer. That's a lot of snaps for that guy. Um, who's your third defensive tackle, uh, rush and DeMonte Moore are not, um, athletic well, rush rush is 350. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and, um, and I was say, well, him and, and, uh, more, th- those guys aren't athletically gifted either. Um, that's not, that's a lot of snaps for those three guys that could go to players that have more potential to actually be impactful. Um, and I'm not, I, I, I like Monet and I think more and rush are serviceable. But well, if you had, if you had like a snacks, Harrison go, come in and take the snaps of uh, rush and Monet, I wouldn't have any problem with that. No. Um, or if you had a, um, you know, a defensive end that could rush the passer and not be Demonte Moore. Um, that well, I mean, Collier helpful. looked good. Collier. Collier looked actually looked really solid. He's he's never. I don't game. think he's ever going to be a spectacular guy. He's probably never going to live up to his draft position. But he has it greatly improved from last year and um, is. And without him, where would we be? Oh, I mean, God, Green they, is on the sidelines now. It's like, yeah. come on. Yeah, they'd be. God, this defensive line would be screwed. <laughs> I mean, they're, that's yeah. how that's how close they are to just being completely imploding. Um, and with all of the injuries at uh, linebacker and secondary now, because the back seven was supposed to be like this great strength of talent and depth that was going to help them overcome the problems on the line, and all that depth is gone right now. And 
the line's got to hold its own because the back seven don't, they just don't have the depth that they, that they did um, when the season started. And so it's, you got to have guys step up. Seeing Collier step up a little bit has helped. Seeing Alton Robinson come in has helped. And seeing um, Shaquem Griffin come in and play some linebacker where he had to spy, um, you know, Prescott sideline to sideline and just not let him run and then brush the passer on a few times and just kind of have that role and that job and do it really well. That was that was good to see too. I mean, there there's reason for hope with the defense. They're gonna get guys healthy, right? Everybody except for Irvin and Blair is due to come back. Um, they're gonna get Daryl Taylor at some point. Um, and if Griffin and Robinson continue to develop and continue to to make an impact that they didn't in the first couple of weeks because they weren't even on the roster uh, or they weren't even on the field, um, then there's hope there's hope here um man they just can't afford any more injuries (laughs) i mean i agree and they need some confidence building games too i mean they have faced very decent offenses yeah offenses that you could probably argue will be there at the end that you know in the top 10 or whatever oh yeah they even though atlanta is struggling they're they're still a great offense yeah i mean they're struggling but most (laughs) of what they're struggling with is coaching i mean how do you give up double-digit leads late in the fourth quarter two weeks in a row. I mean, this is... And think about it. This is the the 28-3 to team uh, that lost uh, the Super Bowl uh, after being up 28-3. to um, And then, you know, they've they've given up big leads two weeks in a row. Um, they had an early lead against Seattle in week one, and then, of course, Seattle ate that and won big. But... Um, there just there's some coaching problems going on there. I I was mm-hmm. kind of surprised that we rolled into this morning without news of Dan Quinn being replaced. Um, he barely held on to his job last year, and for this start, zero and three with two epic collapses um, to get them to zero and three. I his time as a head coach in Atlanta has got to come to an end soon, unless they turn this around big time. Yeah. That's a, it's a tough deal. The NFL is, um, all right. So let's all travel to Miami, shall we? Okay. Um, I wouldn't mind going to Miami. This I time wouldn't of year. mind. Oh man. I, I'd give anything for that right now. Uh, Seattle three and O against the Miami dolphins in Miami. Uh, Miami's one and two losses to Buffalo, uh, where they were actually up, um, with 10 minutes to go in that game, uh, losses to new England in the first game of the year. So we played uh, New England after they had gone to Miami. Um, and then they they won last week against the Jaguars. This team is interesting because I think they're offensively, they're somewhat competent. You look at them, they're well put together. They've got a nice complimentary running game with Miles Gaskin actually stepping up. The University of Washington seventh round 2019 pick mm-hmm. is kind of shown up for them and he's he's, he's a guy been their I dynamic I, un- I understand the tread on the tires argument because man that guy had a lot of runs in college mm. but miles gaskin was a dynamic player at the collegiate level and i was surprised that he lasted 
where to where he did in 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 the draft. He he was a guy that to me looked like okay, he might have a shorter career because yeah. he of the the wear and tear in his body and everything. But he looked like a guy that could come in and be impactful for a team. I was, and I'm still obviously surprised that he dropped. And this is coming from a Coug, not a yeah. Husky um, no, at agree. heart. So he looks like he's put on a little bit of weight, um, which I think has helped him a little bit run between the tackles. So yeah. he's been able to stay on the field for them, which is, which is the key. Is and they have him working um, in yep. that in that way. Even though they've got Howard, who they picked up in free agency, uh, who's developed into their short yardage guy now at this point, um, but they can uh, they can run and they can pass mm-hmm. uh, the ball. Um, they've got Fitzpatrick. He's not going to be your four hundred yard guy, but he could be your two hundred and fifty to three hundred yard guy. He might be a four hundred yard guy against this defense. He, he very well could be. He very well could be. <laughs> I'm I'm not kidding. He he probably might, in fact, be. Um, but they, they lost to the bills. The bills finally came back and beat them 31 to 28. But they, again, they were up, um, 21 to 17 with 10 minutes to go in that game. And, um, Buffalo just needed, uh, a little bit more from Allen and they got it on a couple of drives and they were able to stop Fitzpatrick on a couple of drives. Yep. And that was the difference in that game. So Buffalo this, needed, just needed to wake up. They looked yeah. like they were sleepwalking through that parts of that game. And then they woke up and they're clearly the more talented team and it showed um but yeah miami could have won that game miami's miami could put up anywhere from 20 i think in this game against the seahawks anywhere from 24 to 30 points but and here's the but they don't have anything on defense nope so they're allowing uh, opposing quarterbacks to complete 72 percent of their passes and an 8.8 per uh, per attempt average and they also allow folks to run the ball on them pretty effectively. Mm-hmm. And so I think Seattle's going to have its choice on offense of what it wants to do and exploit. It can run uh, the ball, I think, effectively against this team. This is probably end up being the biggest running game I think Seattle could have, although you could see Russell Wilson throw 350 yards and another five touchdowns against this defense as well. Yeah, the defense, so is, I, the defense there is pretty bad. The offense, you know... Um, has Fitzpatrick at quarterback, which we all know what that means. He'll have great games and then he'll, he'll throw three interceptions too. And then he'll turn around and throw three interceptions yeah, the next week. Right. Um, and so this could be a game where he throws for 400 yards and, and three touchdowns and they keep it close. This could be a game where he throws for 400 yards, uh, but three interceptions in the schedule. Yeah, and they're all empty. Yeah. yeah and the yards and, are empty. And yep. the Seahawks, you know, run away with this and, you know, put up a 50-burger on them. Um, I mean, it, it could go either way. It comes down to who makes who on defense makes plays and if they can yes. if they can get those. Well, I can tell you what right now. The only the only team that's going to stop the Seattle Seahawks offense against the Miami Dolphins is Seattle. Yeah. Um, they're not going to make plays. This is going to be a situation where Seattle can pick up chunk yards, um, that, that Russell Wilson should have time to throw and pick his targets and and or run the ball effectively when they want to run the ball. I really do honestly believe Seattle can put up 40-plus points on this team, no problem. But Seattle's defense is not constructed well to be able to stop what, what Miami wants to do either. Um, their tight ends, uh, especially uh, Gasecki at tight end, is 
very dynamic. He's gonna he's gonna probably have ten catches for 120 yards and a couple touchdowns in this game. Just him. Um, and then Devontae Parker at wide receiver. Again, Miles Gaskin is catching a lot of balls out of the backfield. Um, more than they they thought he was just gonna be that for them. Turns out he can run between the tackles a little bit more than they probably wanted uh, initially out of him. Um, so he's going to be on the field quite good a bit. Good outside runner too. He's very good. They in do. A, in they a they zone. and and Miami does run a lot of outside zone and and also inside zone too, which kind of surprised me. Fitzpatrick will pull the ball down occasionally if he gets frustrated uh, with coverage. He'll pull the ball down and, and get you yards. He'll extend a drive or two on third down if he if he's not seeing something. He surprises you because he's what thirty eight years old or whatever, but he can still kind of move around a little bit. So it'll be interesting. I it's just one of those games where it's Miami. I mean, you're going to outscore Miami. You're going to win this game if you're Seattle, just on paper and everything we've seen so far. Um, the question becomes: Can this? Can Seattle use this game as an opportunity to improve defensively? Um, and I think that's what I'm looking for out of this game is can Seattle stop Miami and prevent them from gaining more than 50% on third down conversions and red zone rate needs to you know be, be below 50% or whatever. Um, really just have some stops at key moments in this game. I just want to look for small improvements, incremental changes that Seattle, the Seahawks are doing on defense that gives me hope that it could carry over to the next game and so forth. They could kind of build on it. Yeah. Um, I, so how do you see this game ending? Let's go ahead and, and, and do the predictions where, um, give me a prediction for this game. Well, I honestly see us scoring 45 points. I watched all three <laughs> Miami games, condensed versions, uh, before the show this weekend. And, um, and to, and this morning I watched the, the Jaguar show, uh, game. Um, we're going to score points. So the, the point scoring for Seattle is not going to be the issue. It's can we stop Miami from scoring consistently? And I believe that we can. Other defenses uh, have been able to, to stop them and, and generate some turnovers and generate some three and outs and so forth. Um, so I think that, you know, if we hold Miami to like the 24 thing, so 45 to 24 Seahawks. Yeah, so if you look at... Um common opponent which was new england right um you know cam newton ran all over that defense he didn't have to throw it because the defense was so bad they just ran it all the time and and kept the ball away from uh the other team and and um defensively Conversely, it was a low scoring game yeah and um offensively they struggled to move the ball against the patriots well what happened what did the Seahawks do against the Patriots? Oh, that's right. They put up a ton of points and like pretty much moved the ball at will, um, especially to DK Metcalf over reigning defensive player of the year. Um, And who do they have? Who does Miami have that's close to Gilmore? No one. Well, here's the deal too. No one. I'm glad you brought this up. So uh, (laughs) Miami has Byron Jones. Okay, but he's been nursing a groin injury since week two. He was out last week. He's the guy that would cover Metcalf. So if he can't go, it would be Xavier uh, Xavier Howard at corner, who Metcalf can exploit all day. That would shift then their their new draft pick Noah, whatever his last name is, Igno Gian, mm-hmm. um, over on Tyler Lockett. 
that matchup is so favorable for the Seahawks, I can't even begin to tell you. Well, so as long as we can block if, up front, like Wilson's going to have a field day. Even if Byron Jones is in there, right? Like Byron Jones is a, is is a good player, uh, but what's his, you know? I mean, he's he's a great athlete, but what's his straight line speed? It's not. Well, it's not going to be at three three. Right, he's a he's a he's a fantastic athlete, which is why he, a lot of teams thought he would be a um, a safety, a strong safety, because he's so agile for his size and and everything. But his straight line speed isn't great. Um, and again, nursing a groin injury. Yeah, um, and so his lateral quickness is just probably not going to be there. He's probably not going to test that. Yeah, and in the game, fresh back off that. And now you put. Uh, a super dynamic athlete like DK Metcalf on him who can stretch him deep and beat him one-on-one, even if he was healthy. And Russell um, Wilson's getting four seconds of throw. Yeah. Um, like that's a, that's a, uh, a matchup that, I mean, let's face it. If Gilmore couldn't stop Metcalf, Jones isn't going to. Um, and Lockett's going to eat anybody else on that roster. He's just going to eat them alive. Um, and so I just, I don't see a way for them to, and we haven't even talked about the the impact of our tight ends or running backs out of the backfield or our third or fourth wide receivers. I mean, weapon wise, they have nothing to stop our front two guys, let alone everyone else. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're really going to struggle. We haven't even Um, talked about the running game. I mean, that's just, and this, and, and Miami's a really bad run defense. Yes. So, um, yeah, yeah, we're hiding. talking. You know, uh, we should be able to pick up eight, nine yards of crack in this mm-hmm. game. Yeah, so the Seahawks are going to score it well. They really are. They're just um, leave Dixon at home and bring up another player. How about how about we do that? No, <laughs> <laughs> um, Dixon's. You know, he was an All Pro as a rookie last year. He was middle of the road. Um, this year he's playing at an all pro level again. I, you keep him. <laughs> all right. So you're saying we might have a one or two third down. Yeah. Or fourth down plays. Yeah. Okay. A couple. So how do you feel about, about it? And then I want to talk about the NFC West just really quick. I Since think we've been kind of covering that this off season. Maybe we should can keep that up. A little bit. I could see the Seahawks just kind of, um, running away with this game early, um, putting up points. That's forcing Miami to do things they don't want to do. And that's just force the ball downfield with the quarterback that, is a dink and dunk guy, um, and he's going to turn the ball over a bunch because his mechanics are all over the place too. Still, they've always to been this, that to way. this day. He throws off his back foot a lot. He he doesn't step forward. He slings it sideways. He yep. puts himself in a position to be intercepted quite a bit. And yep. so we'll see. And so I, I I foresee this being like a, a three turnover game for uh, the Dolphins, and you know Wilson putting up. 30 some odd points easy like 38 um and miami just struggling to put up points maybe they'll get some garbage time points and make it 38 24 but you know 14 of those points are going to come in garbage time once the game's already nice. over all right so i'll give you the 38 24 and i'll add a defensive touchdown and get it get me to my 45 24 prediction How about all that? right <laughs> so nfc west is an interesting um Interesting division this year. Obviously, uh, one of the best, if not the very best, uh, in uh, all of football. Seahawks are obviously three and zero. The others are all two and one. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Arizona lost to Detroit, which was kind of surprising for me. Because Detroit's um, not, been, not been good. Detroit's not been good, but they were good enough to intercept um, Murray three times, and that was the difference in that game. Yep. Uh, Arizona lost. Uh, the next up is Carolina. They should win that game. Easy. Uh, the Los Angeles Rams, 32, Bills, 35. That was as close as you can get um, to winning that game. The Rams are at the Giants next. We'll see. Uh, we'll see what that means. That usually means a win for anybody. Uh, so the Rams should should take that as well. But the Bills are interesting. They're winning close games, um, which is a you know it's what Seattle does. So I'm not going to say it's a bad thing. I'm just going to say that the Bills will be interesting. We play the Bills this year. I'm, yep. gonna, I'm looking forward to that game actually at this the, point in the, the season. The Bills are a good team. Um, nobody wants to give them credit for being a good team because. Well, they're the Bills, and also because Allen is their quarterback. But they are—they have a good roster. Yes, um, they are a good team. But they're allowing lots of yards on defense, and their defense was going to be their strength. So that's the interesting part for me. It's mm-hmm. like what—what what is their defense really all about, and is their offense sustainable? You know, and and who have they played? I mean, if you're going to put 35 uh, points up on the Rams, that doesn't really tell me a lot. So San Francisco. Uh, they beat the Giants 36 to nine. It's interesting to watch San Francisco uh, have so many medical problems and still put up that many points on on a Giants Did you watch team. That game? Shows you how bad the Giants are. Did you watch that game? 246 total yards against the 49ers. That, no, I did not. I I did. Um, I watched as much of that game as I could tolerate, which was probably three quarters of it and then i kept flipping away from it because it was so boring that was a that was a college level game as far as talent neither one of those teams is good um 49ers are better than the giants even with all the injuries obviously look, look, look at the score but the giants are quite possibly like a 2 and 14 team um or a 1 and 15 they're they are bad and only only worst team is the Jets. Yeah. Yeah. What a suffering uh, fan base for, <laughs> for those two franchises. Oh, darn. Um, oh. Uh, but the 49ers, like. Well, and then the 49ers just, get to go to the Eagles, who are now struggling big yeah, time. I mean, they and that's what I what I said after they lost their first game is that they have their next five games were all not just winnable, but. They definitely Probable. needed to win those. Um, I will say the only because the only dynamic player they had on offense in that entire game was the rookie um, Brandon Ayuk, um, who mm-hmm. showed up like in the third quarter in a big way and pretty much had an entire drive to himself with like uh, three catches and a touchdown. Um, and he was really the only thing. He How did Nick the, Mullins look? He looked. I mean, he looked like Nick Mullins, right? Um, like for like he did a couple of years ago. He makes some just plays. Just a dink and duck guy, and yeah, for the most part. Um, he's yeah, not a yeah. not a special player, but he's not terrible. Um, uh, but Ayuk was the clearly the best player on the field. Um, when he when the 49ers offense was on the field, and there was nobody else close, and that was on both sides of the ball. None of the other 49ers that were playing um, on offense are going to scare anybody unless you're the Jets or Giants. Um, and the Giants were just terrible. Like they were just, they're such a bad team. So 
Yeah, um, that was that was not a fun game to watch just because it was just it was just not good football. Well, everyone keeps winning though, you know, for the most part. I mean, they're two and one, uh, all those teams, and then Seahawks. Um, I this could be an interesting special year for the Seahawks. It could be. It's just lining up. They got to get that defense, uh, mm-hmm. you know, because that it, it is going to come back. We're twenty ranked twenty seventh DVOA. Yeah, on defense. Gonna, they're gonna the the defense is bad enough. It's gonna bite them at a couple of times, and that would be unfortunate. That um, would be very unfortunate, especially if it's in a game that <laughs> Russell Wilson has three hundred and fifty yards and four or five touchdowns, very few mistakes, and our defense is the cause of a loss. That would be heartbreaking. Yeah. So, um, looking at we were talking about the the, um, the NFC West and just how good you know all the teams are because the Forty ers were a very, very good team, but they've just lost so many good players to injury. And so um, they're just playing just this litany of backups, and it's it's unfortunate. Uh, but that the whole division is great. To give you an idea of how bad uh, the NFC East is, uh, Dallas is in first place at 1-2, tied with Washington, which is also 1-2. The other two teams are 0-3. Um, Dallas is the only team of the four that has looked competent. Um, but they, their defense obviously isn't very They've good. They've got problems. And it, and it took a historic meltdown by Atlanta a week ago. Um, otherwise they would be 0-3, right? Um, True. That's how bad that, I, I expect Dallas to run away with that division by being the only team capable of getting close to eight wins. Um, well, I can never, three. I can never take anything away from anybody since we went into the playoffs with seven wins once. So, I, I'm yeah, I wasn't, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not saying that. I'm just saying compared to you, look at the. Um, well, and they had the expectation of uh, of being right there at the end with all the other NFC uh, front runners, Green Bay Saints. Seahawks, mm-hmm. 49ers. Well, and the Eagles expected to be there too, but what uh, Minnesota? What 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 has what have you seen from the Eagles that makes them look like anything other than a um you know, top 10 draft pick team? Nothing. Nothing. And they just put Gertz on IR as well. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be interesting, uh, you know. So, I was just it's funny Keith, uh well, not funny for you, but uh the Seahawks <laughs> 2020 regular season schedule prediction sheet. I was just kind of looking at that and uh, looking at our win loss predictions. And I noticed you opened up the Seahawks with a loss and then you've got another loss coming up against the Vikings. I'm just wondering how you feel uh, not only as a, as a person, but as a, as a predictor of a team that you follow literally full time, um, how you can be so wrong. (laughs) I feel (laughs) good. I feel great about it. I feel outstanding about it because there's one thing about when you try and do an honest prediction and not a Homer prediction. And therefore you, you admit the team's faults and you, you know, you say, Oh, they're probably going to lose a few games here and there. And then they prove you're wrong and are better. You just go, I feel great about it. Like I, I am so happy that I'm wrong. Um, and I don't care. Good answer. That um, a, that's a great answer. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was mostly kidding. Um, mostly. 
Mostly. <laughs> well, it is lining up. I mean, you know, it's funny when when we talked about the, the in the in the prediction show, and we were really going through every opponent. And I was, you know, honestly, you had the team going five and zero oh to start. I had the, the team opening five and zero, oh and I and I was trying to be as honest and thorough as I could on being realistic with that and looking at our roster. I was trying to figure out like where the holes were and stuff. And it's, it pretty well lines up with kind of what I was thinking. The offense was going to be really good. In fact, improved. And then the defense I thought would be improved enough Mm -hmm. to make some of these wins, you know, easier quote unquote. And it hasn't turned out that way um, yet. Uh, But it is interesting that um, they, they do have an opportunity here. I think it, I think the floor is close to 12 wins. I'm just looking at the team, the way it's constructed, the schedule well, now. It helps know. It helps that th- their schedule. Because if you look at, um, they play the uh, AFC East, the NFC East, um, Atlanta, and Minnesota. Those are the, the non-conference, right? The NFC East is by far the worst division in football. And they're yeah, just the only thing that I wish awful. is that we played the 49ers earlier than we do. November first is the first game. Yeah, it would be nice if we played them now. Exactly, because they're 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 not a good football team with all these injuries, and they're gonna get Richard Sherman back, and they're gonna get Jimmy Garoppolo back, and uh, they're gonna get George Kittle back, and when they get those guys back, they're gonna be a good team again. Um, But they're missing their best players, and so therefore they're not. And so yeah, it would be great if we could play them now. (laughs) Yeah, but you know what? I'm you just you look at that schedule with those 10 games the the, the 10 non uh, non-division games and who scares you out of all that yeah i was just gonna say Bu- I, buffalo i'm almost Eng- buffalo and new england are the only two good teams I, i'm literally thinking that i might want to revise my one loss total yeah because i you could easily see 13 wins now mm-hmm. and if you weren't so <laughs> if it wasn't so unrealistic to predict like 14, you could easily show 14 wins on here if you can get by our division games. Um, because then you've just got the Bills to worry about and you've got the 49ers game at the very end, maybe. Mm-hmm. And those are the two games that would kind of pause you for a minute. Maybe the Cardinals. Yeah. I'm not going to write those guys off completely yet. It's just too dynamic of an offense there, but. I wouldn't um, write them off. I, yeah, they had... Um, Russell Wilson could outscore anybody, though. So it's just a matter oh, of the yeah. defense coming but up I'm with just, a few stops. Or a few turnovers, which is what they've done so far. And that's the key right there. That's mm-hmm. the key, I think, through the entire season and maybe getting to the Super Bowl, is can the Seahawks create turnovers um, in order to make up for some of the deficiencies that they've got overall in their defense? Mm-hmm. All right. Should we get out of here? I think we should get out of here. I think we're we're well into this show and we're at like an hour and a half. So, um, yeah, if you're still listening, thank you for, for sticking with it. It's been a long show, but uh, let's do it. Yeah. Follow Keith on Twitter at Myers NFL. I'm at MW Seahawk. The show is at Hawks Playbook. Seahawksplaybook.com has all of the shows. Subscribe on your favorite podcast apps and uh, that way you get your show into the feed every week. And um and also on YouTube as well. We've got a YouTube channel. It's kind of a static um, scrolling uh, picture thing for now. And maybe we'll get some live stuff up there at some point. So uh, subscribe now and uh, be rewarded later. How about that? All right. Until next time, Keith.
Go Hawks. Seahawks Playbook Podcast listeners, thanks for joining us for another edition of the show. You can find us on Twitter. Bill is at NWSeahawk. Keith is at Myers NFL. And the show is at Hawks Playbook. You can listen and subscribe to the show at SeahawksPlaybook.com.